Today, we wrap up our wedding series, and I wanted to shine a light on some of the traditions and superstitions that surround weddings. What if your wedding day is rainy? Why do brides need something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue? And the rabbit hole of engagement rings. Stay tuned as we get into all of it. Hi, I'm Monica, one of the two Monicas and a microphone. And I'm the other Monica. We're here to provide real, relatable entertainment. Monica, let's get started because everyone loves a good wedding superstition, I think. Yeah, they are really fun, I have to admit. Well, where do we begin today? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about the dowry. Not sure if you're familiar with that. That sounds like a really antiquated idea, just like arranged marriages. Yeah. So we often think of a dowry as the bride paying the groom's (laughs) parents to take her off their hands because she's a burden, as if she were maybe part of a property or trade. But that's actually a pretty crude understanding, honestly. And a dowry is actually more of a gift. However, dowries were outlawed in India in 1961, so there must be some truth to our misconceptions. But they still do have arranged marriages, so that's interesting. Very interesting. So according to an article from Bride.com compiled from interviews with Santos Pa, he's a Hindu priest and he lives in a village outside of Mumbai. And for everyone, I'm saying these wrong, but please forgive me. Um, and then a Dr. Xavier Liverman, and he's an associate professor of African studies at the University of Texas. So I read the article and I'm gonna tell you a little bit of what I found out there that is actually true about dowries. Oh, fun. Right? So we were like, oh yeah, I'll just I'll pay you in a crude manner, but that's not really what they are. They're a gift. So traditionally they were offered by a bride's family, but in some cultures, it is the groom who pays the dowry. I did not know that. Oh yeah, pretty common. And actually, this is a side note and not from their article, in Exodus, in the Bible, it does talk about how a man, if he seduces away the virginity of a girl, will have to pay a dowry to her family. Oh, you have Uh, to buy the whole cow, not just take the milk. Right, and on top of that, her father could actually refuse to give her over in marriage. That guy would still have to pay the dowry and then come up empty-handed. I was like, wow, that's pretty much a, a nice protection for the girl. But that's neither here nor there on the actual dowries that we're talking about. Another thing I found out about the dowry that I thought was really interesting is that the bride could take it with her if she left the marriage. A little bit of security for her. Absolutely. That's what they were. They were kind of financial security for the bride a lot of times. So over time, this system did become exploited and it really became more of a financial demand than a gift. Okay. So something that was expected and instead of something that was just offered. Correct. So this exploitation started causing a lot of problems, including death for non-payment of dowry. That seems extreme. Yeah, it is totally extreme, which is why not just India, but also Pakistan, Nepal, Greece, and Kenya outlawed dowries all together. I mean, couldn't they just outlaw murder for non-payment? Yeah, well, maybe it was just such a (laughs) sticky situation. It wasn't just murder. There were all sorts of just really nasty exploitation in this process. So I'm with you. I mean, murder's kind of already illegal, but we here in America like to make double laws for everything too. So also according to this Brides.com article, parts of these cultures still practice some sort of dowry today. And those cultures listed were Jewish, Slavic, Arab, East Asian, North 
African and Sub-Saharan African cultures. All right. Well, what about like Western Europe and America? Right. I guess we never had dowries here, but this article did not talk about anything Western. So I went and did a little sleuthing on Wiki and here's what I was able to find out. There is an example in Victorian England where upper class families would pay a dowry and it was seen as early payment on the bride's inheritance. So it was almost escrowed for her, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If I think back to Downton Abbey, they were obviously wealthy when their daughter gets married. She's poised to inherit the entire estate, but the dowry is almost like an advance and it's set up so that she and her husband can live comfortably. Yes, and that is pretty much how it was treated in that time and then afterward. Now I was thinking, what about America? And believe it or not, dowry still existed in America. In fact, there's like this legend of John Hall. Now he is the master of the mint in Boston. He was super wealthy and supposedly he set his 18 year old daughter onto one side of the large scales in his warehouse. And then he piled healings onto the other side until the scales were equal to her weight in silver. And he said, this is her dowry. I mean, let's hope that she was curvy. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> none none of thing. that heroin chic for her. Yeah, and I don't know when John Hall was from, but definitely not from heroin chic 1990. No. <laughs> Here's a little tidbit that I never knew about dowries. So girls who wanted to become nuns in Europe, they would need their dowries paid to the Catholic Church. Of Those course the church yes. required that. Well, of course. Monica, after all, they are the bride of Christ. Okay, yeah. And one thing for you to consider about dowries in the modern age, do they still exist? And especially here in the United States. And I'm gonna go all the way back up to where we first talked about how the system became exploited and was more of a financial demand. And if you go back to any of our Bridezilla stories, you'll see why I'm making this connection and so have some other people. They say that the modern day dowry is now the bridal registry. I was thinking it was, it would probably be more like the bride's parents paying for the wedding. The registry, well, the registry is, is a gift. from the guests, but paying for the wedding, I, I think it's changed a little bit, you know, in the last 30 years where a lot of brides mm -hmm. and grooms pay for their own wedding or parents contribute a little bit, but not everything. Right. And it's also because couples get married later in life now too. They're not 18 just yeah. starting out. Right. So it's just a whole different scenario, but I would agree with your take on it by far. Uh, I was just being a little tongue in cheek with the registry and Bridezilla yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> I don't think we told any stories about uh, monsters-in-law taking over the registry, but I'm sure we could find some. You know it. So what are things like today? giving away the bride, when did that start? That's a very, very good question. So let me get into that a little bit because this answer was a little bit more convoluted than I would have liked. According to the internet, this comes from when brides were considered their father's property and then they became their husband's property. And I was thinking, oh, okay, let me keep researching this. Mm -hmm. And my research found only people saying it comes from that tradition, but nowhere could I find any sources or what culture were they pointing back to or any of that and all over and over it just said this archaic tradition and this is why we do this now you know what it reminded me of monica what 
is when we thought that the reason brides wore white is because of purity. And we come out, find after researching that it has to do with showing off your wealth was actually its origin. Yeah, because white was very hard to come by. Right. So it had me thinking, is it anything like this? So I dug a little deeper because just because a bunch of blog posts and even certified, you know, MSM sources, they're just literally saying the same phrase over and over and giving me no context. I don't like that just because it's said over and over doesn't mean it's true. Really trying to figure it out. If it did have to do with you being property, I would say that by time Queen Victoria was married, we had already lost that tradition because she was walked down the aisle by her uncle and he didn't have any property rights over her, for goodness sake. She was a queen consort by that point. Where was her father? And I think that he is dead. Oh, okay. And I think that people are like, Monica, you're like all about England and the Victorian era. Of course I am. But in this particular instance, I think it's really important to survey, did she have someone walk her down the aisle? Was that symbolic? Because she really is the modern centerpiece. This is where we get the foundation of a lot of things that we see in today and you can do that if you want to go all the way back a few episodes where we explain that so mm -hmm. i would say that by the time we're in victorian era it is no longer i own you and this is my property so we've at least by the victorian era shed that and i'm inclined to say that the true research into an answer with sources will take more time than i'm willing to give to it so now I'm going to stick with the ambiguous internet answer of women are property. However, I did find one of my favorite theories coming from an actual wedding historian, Susan Wagoner, as reported in Wedding, etc. And she says that this custom stems from the days of arranged marriages when father's looming presence was a good way to prevent the groom from backing out. You know, this theme also shows up a little bit later in another Ooh. custom, ways to prevent the couple from backing out of an arranged marriage. Oh, okay. I can't wait to hear these. We move from giving the bride away to catching the bouquet. I mean, everybody does it. What does it mean? Let's find out. Well, oh. I would like to share a personal story. Here oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And my competitive little preteen, teenage, young adult personality that I had was that I would have to catch the bouquet at every single wedding I was at. And I did. I was no super, way. <laughs> yes. Hilarious. But I did up until basically I married Zach. Were you like yeah. elbowing, elbowing, well, tripping? Hey, I was a very good rebounder in basketball is all I have to say. Well, that's super fun. I don't think I've ever caught a bouquet. That might explain why I got married 15 years after you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all. The only explanation. Well, for centuries, the bouquet has been seen as a representation of good luck. And it's also believed that whoever catches the bouquet will be the next person to get married. So, you know, as a 12-year-old, when I went to my cousin's wedding, that was a little creepy to me. I'm like, I don't want to be the next person to get married. <laughs> it's also a playful and engaging tradition that in involves single and unmarried women, everyone knows how to do it. You turn your back, play a song, you toss it up in the air and hope that you have high ceilings so it doesn't hit the ceiling and then just fall down. But the bouquet is seen as a symbol of fortune and good luck. So whoever catches it will have good luck. I had seen where some of the tradition from catching the bouquet, women used to tear at the bouquet and at the bride's dress to get a piece of it for luck. So that is when they started growing the bouquet. So they weren't going to be, you know, Cinderella's <laughs> stepsister. Ripped yeah. to shreds. Um, so crazy with wedding traditions. Just so crazy that this is like our second episode on wedding traditions. 
Apparently, according to WeddingFrontier.com, which is where I've been getting some information, this started around the same time as the garter toss, which is in medieval Europe back in the 1300s. Kind of like touching Jesus would heal you, it was believed that touching the bride would give them good luck. Apparently, this devolved into women running after the bride, tearing at her gown, trying to rip off a piece so that they could have good luck. They decided to throw the bouquet and distract the single ladies from the bride so that she could get away unscathed. Oh my goodness. So throwing the big bouquet is like a safety measure. Yes. They needed a distraction so that their dress, which was white by this point, and a symbol of wealth and prosperity wouldn't be ruined. And I love this description of how bouquets were originally because I love doing this when I go to friends' houses, especially if I have a thriving herb garden. They originally consisted of herbs, spices, and garlic, which were believed to repel evil spirits. Oh, those evil spirits again. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, they were replaced with flowers to symbolize fertility. I would much rather look at a bouquet of flowers than herbs, not gonna lie. Oh, I love, I love fresh herbs. It's one of my favorite little- look at? Yeah, like things like thyme, rosemary. I mean, you've got all sorts of different shapes. You've got different smells, lavender. I find this shocking from the woman who has orchids. Yeah, no, I I love all plants. You're a plant lady. And no, you do not have to toss a bouquet. Well, nowadays, a lot of brides have two bouquets, one that they keep because it's the expensive one and one that they toss. Did you do that? I did. I did too. I think it was a good move. Definitely. Although I can't remember who caught the bouquet at my my wedding. My cousin Amanda caught mine. I'm not going to lie. I looked at where she was and then I just passed it straight line like it was a basketball path over my head. Actually more like a volleyball bump. But anyway. Oh, that's fun. That's the tradition of tossing the bouquet. We've got more traditions to go through. That is one of the most fun. I, I love this. I love that it was to help you escape the crazy Cinderella sisters. It gets a little creepy when we talk about the garter belts and how that tradition came to be. Well, I can only imagine. Yes. how that came to be, considering where it's located on the bride's body. It's way up there. Now for a short commercial break. Monica, we both know we're getting older, but we still feel like we're 25. And we've taken different paths throughout the years to keep our skin looking its best. I only have happy memories of my days selling skincare, both in retail and to dermatologists. And I love the education I received from that time. But the best part is I made some amazing friends. Nicole is one of those friends. Her effort into research, development, and creating skincare that makes a difference is unmatched. Okay, so tell me a smart solution that Amethyst has developed. What should I be adding to cart today? This brand checks all of your boxes, Monica. It's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and ocean-friendly. All of that is super important to me, especially the clean part. Let's talk about the Daily Nutrition Facial Treatment Oil. It's ultra-nourishing, lightweight, glow-inducing, facial oil to immediately nourish your skin with needed hydration and moisture. This oil quenches the skin and immediately creates skin that is remarkably supple and soft. So where should people go to find all the details on Amethyst skincare? You can find all of it at twomonicaspodcast.com and that's with the number two and find the link for skinbyamethyst.com under support. Go ahead and let Amethyst skincare and Nicole's work work for you. 
and you're wearing a long <laughs> dress. So it takes a little bit to get, get to it, but it stems from medieval Europe, as I mentioned before. It was at a time when a married couple were expected to consummate their union immediately. Immediately, okay? Immediately. Not, not in public, but some guests would actually try to watch to make sure the deed oh, was yeah. done. Yes. So creepy. So removing the garter was seen as presenting proof to get some privacy and appease the onlookers. I mean, seriously. Yikes. It's another escape pod, if you will. It is, it is. So it's funny to me that they had to have all these ruses in order to get some privacy. They're always worried about these evil spirits. I think they probably should have been worried about their guests. There's also another origin story of the garter toss. It's from 18th century, and the English called it a game of flinging the stocking, which involved tossing garters at the couple on their wedding day. Friends and family would try to land one on the newlywed's head for luck in love. <laughs> I wish I knew how that started the first time. <laughs> that would be how. so funny. If only it could be a fly on a wall back then. Well, we've got another source, Martha Stewart, one of my favorite business women of all time. I just love her so much. And she says it started back in the dark ages when it was considered a hot item. And they would wait outside the nuptial bedchamber until they were shown evidence, sheets, stocking, and a garter, that the marriage had been consummated. Again, everyone's all about this consummation thing. Yeah, they were more serious about it than probably the bride and groom. Probably, I mean, when you think of royalty getting married, they have to make sure that they're not gonna get divorced, not gonna annul the marriage, that they're gonna have an heir. Mm -hmm. But for everybody else, I just don't get it. Agreed. In time, the garter came to symbolize good luck. And again, rowdy guests make a game of trying to strip the bride of the garter. That's so, gross. It is gross. And so to distract the mob, the brides began tossing it. Nowadays, groom taking it off the bride and tossing it to crowd of single men. Oh, that entire tradition that we do today is okay with me if we never do that again. I think I did it. Mine was, of course, mild-mannered. I have been to things that are like, that definitely should be behind closed doors. What you just said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You should not stick your head up your wife's. Okay. All right. So one of my favorite traditions is the dollar dance. It's really interesting how this started because I would have thought that this particular article would have gone into other cultures that have been doing it for a long time, right? But apparently, according to WeddingPartyNetwork.com, it started in the 1900s by Polish immigrants to the U.S. who would pin a dollar to the bridal dress or pay a dollar to dance with the bride. And this was a way of giving the bride and groom some money for their honeymoon or to help with the cost of setting up their house. I get why you would think it would come from other cultures because of gifts and different things that were done. Mm -hmm. But this is very specific with the pinning of the dollar. It is. It is and very specific. paying to dance, which is not necessarily anything I think we saw in our previous research about payment from guests and different things like that. I mean, I know that this article says that we can't be exactly sure of where it came from, but it does look like it's come over here from the European communities. There's an Italian tradition that dictates that the bride carries a silk bag in which wedding guests drop envelopes containing money. I think that's great. As a previous bride, I would have enjoyed carrying around all the money. Me too. I didn't do any of this. I should have. Why? Oh man, I need a do-over. <laughs> 
ahead and renew your vows and then everyone can dance with you for $25. Yes, inflation, we'll call it inflation. But I do have a fun story about going to a Greek wedding where they have a very unique tradition. I loved dancing in the circle and doing the traditional Greek dance, but at some point, male guests, it was typically male guests or um, male family members would go in the middle of the circle and they would dance traditional Greek dances and they would throw money in the circle. And so this would happen a couple times over. And then after a period of like 30 minutes, the music would stop and someone would come through and literally sweep up all the money. And then a little while later, it would happen again with other male guests or family members. It was so fun. That sounds fun. The, yeah. the money sounds a little dirty when you sweep it up. I'll take it. I'll take dirty money swept off the floor. Yes. I, you know, find a penny, pick it up. Oh, there you go. Anyway, so that's my fun dollar dance version from a Greek wedding. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I would have wanted people pinning stuff to my dress. It had a lot of beating. I don't know what Pol early 1900s Polish wedding dresses in America were like. Well, let's back up a little bit. And instead of talking about the dollar dance, which you do after you say the vows during the reception, let's talk about the bridal shower. Monica, what do we know about the bridal shower? Monica, what, what do you know about a bridal shower? Because I didn't have one, really. I don't really. I just thought it was an offshoot of how guests give gifts, and it was just a better way to do it. It's definitely transformed even since I was a child. I know that it was something that was much smaller. You gave a very small gift, but now it seems to be where you give the really big gift. It's all very confusing. And I just do what I'm told as far as showers. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm old enough now. I don't have any friends getting married anymore. Okay, so Monica, what did our research show? Well, what we found in the research is that it's actually an offshoot of the dowry practices, which to me makes sense as we learned that dowries were really gifts. Mm -hmm. So legend has it that bridal showers originated in Holland with this poor woman. Now she wasn't poor, but she wanted to marry this poor man. And when it came time to marry, the bride's father forbade the marriage and refused to provide a dowry. The community came together and showered the girl with household items so that she could marry the poor Miller. And this story is adapted in the folklore of many countries. I like that. Well, we know that today showers don't take place immediately before the wedding. They happen a few months before and they can be a really big deal and cost a lot of money. A Absolutely. Lot. And if you've heard of some of the bridezillas, the expectations for these showers are insane. That's right. And I take it back. I did have a small bridal shower. My parents threw it for me, but I really just wanted to spend some time with my mom's side of the family and my aunts because mm -hmm. I knew once the wedding arrived, I wouldn't have time to really spend time with them. So they threw me a nice lunch and we played some games and I mistakenly left my entire work bag in the car. If I hadn't done that, I would have won the games. <laughs> I was like, why did I just that's bring my funny. clutch? <laughs> like I, I had like that's what you remember. Oh yeah, no, I mean it was it was fun. It was fun and we had lunch and you know got to chit chat and spend time together. But yeah, I was just like, I have that in my work bag. I have that in my work bag. I have this other thing in my work bag. I had it all. I would have won. You know what the bridal shower reminds me of? Something that my grandmother did for me and it just now hit me and it probably doesn't belong here nor in this episode y'all but i'm sharing it because it reminds me of the bridal shower she did a bridesmaids luncheon the day before she set the table real i didn't even know she did anything like that i'm not oh, sure that's how lovely. I didn't know. and it was absolutely one of the sweetest moments 
between me and my grandmother that I ever shared. And I don't know if it is a Southern tradition. I'm not really sure, but I felt so loved. I can't even tell you. And it for overall and everything with my wedding was one of the most special things that happened aside, obviously, from marrying Zach. I mean, I think that's a great tradition. It is. Monica, we move on. So we just backed up a little bit to the bridal shower, but now we're going to fast forward to after what happens right after the ceremony, after you say I do. There are a couple different traditions from different cultures and different religions that we're going to go into. Okay. Comes to mind to me traditionally, if you watch a wedding on TV or a soap opera or in a movie, is that either birdseed or rice or bubbles or something is thrown and pelted <laughs> as pelted. the bride and groom as they leave. In Florida, uh, maybe it's sand. Oh my God. <laughs> that would oh, be awful. That would be, be awful. awful. Sorry. At my own wedding, I made fake snowballs because I got married in January. And I knew that my brothers, if I did bird seed, would just chuck the bags at me soft little snowballs yeah my brothers and my nephews oh well that's i think that's super cute especially because you got married in arkansas where it really doesn't snow well we start with rice which is typical right and the rice could be rice back when it started in the roman tradition it was oats seeds okay things that could grow because the implication is fertility prosperity and it implies best wishes for the newlyweds and good harvests and everything in between. So seeds and crops are a thing that grow. But I remember hearing that many venues, let's back up like 20 years when I had friends getting married, they were banning rice throwing because it was harmful to birds. Do you remember any of this? I do. Now, when that happened, I was like, really? This is what I thought because I had gone to a lot of weddings in the 80s and 90s. And by the time I had gotten married, everyone had turned to birdseed because rice was bad for birds. And I kept thinking to myself, why had I never seen dead birds all over the place like they're implying? And to this day, I have wondered things that was like an urban legend. I Uh think it is. Science has proved. Yes, yes. Science has proved that the rice is bad for birds is totally false. And again, this is according to Martha Stewart, whom I trust. So. Yes. And that falsehood like completely changed our wedding cultures. It did. And, you know, maybe it's for the best because now we have, like you mentioned, we have bubbles, we have butterflies. Some people release birds. There are sparklers yeah, yeah. and glow sticks. There are also, you had snowballs. I think that's super cute. So I think it kind of freed brides to create yes. a farewell ceremony or a farewell tradition that fits with their personality and also their wedding theme. Yes, I love it. And yeah. I, it's kind of sad that it came from a rumor, but something good at least came from it. Yes, I really wanted sparklers, but since I got married um, on at the Academy Chapel, they do not allow fire. No sparklers for me. I think I had glow sticks, and you know what? I forgot to give them out. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't remember your glow sticks. Yeah, no, no, I totally forgot to give them out and uh, ended up using them like three years later, and most of them had died. They, they wouldn't glow anymore. <laughs> 
Friends, you didn't know this in the beginning, but this is a two-part episode because there's so much to dig into when it comes to weddings, superstitions, and traditions. So we have another episode coming up for you right now. I tried using as much classic and classical wedding music as possible just to make some of us nostalgic and also maybe inspire others. Follow us on Instagram at Two Monica's Podcast. Find us on Pinterest where we've got more goodies in store for you. Please leave us a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to share us with a friend. It really helps the show grow. For all show notes and credits, please see us at twomonicaspodcast.com.